This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm a career coach and the author of Find Your Happy at Work. Our focus today is unretirement. We'll talk about how to create a rewarding career and life after you step away from your big job. Our guest is journalist Rich Eisenberg, who recently unretired from his job as managing editor of Next Avenue. That's the terrific PBS website for people who are 50 and older. Rich will describe how he's been building a new career phase as a columnist and educator. He'll share how being an older worker sometimes pays off, and he'll talk about how you can start now to lay the groundwork for a bonus career and why it's never too early to practice good work-life habits like networking and staying in touch with technology trends. Rich, I know that you retired early this year from your job as managing editor at Next Avenue. And of course, that's the PBS site. It's a great site for people who are 50 and over. And what we want to talk about today is how in the less than a year since you retired, you went into a wonderful new unretirement phase. Um, and so our focus is going to be unretiring. But at Just About Work, we always like to hear our guest career story. So before we get into your current work life, could you tell us a bit about your uh, career and how you found your way to Next Avenue? Sure thing. Thank you, Bev. It's great to talk to you again. Um, so I've been a um, journalist since I graduated from the journalism school at Northwestern University back in 1978. Uh, I worked for about 19 years at Money Magazine in New York City, where I was I uh, started as a fact checker, but I ended up there as the executive editor. And over the years there, I was a writer, an editor, uh, Washington correspondent, uh, and then ultimately the executive editor. Um, so that was a fun ride. Um, I went from there to Good Housekeeping, where I was the special projects director and money editor, and I was there for 10 years. That's part of Hearst. Um, then I was freelancing. I was then the editor of the uh, finance area for Yahoo, and that meant I was in charge of whatever you saw on the front page of Yahoo that related to personal finances and and work and cars and real estate and just about anything that had anything to do with money. Um, and then about uh, in 2011, I was asked to be part of the launch team for Next Avenue, which was a, going to be a new site from the PBS station based in St. Paul, Minnesota, Twin Cities Public Television. And it was going to be a new website for people over 50. At that point, that meant baby boomers. These days, being over 50 means baby boomers, but it also means Gen Xers. And so I started on that team as the editor of the Money Channel and the Work Channel. And I was there for 10 years, and I ultimately was the managing editor as well. And then, as you say, I left in January to start what I call my unretirement. Well, it sounds like along the way, you've had some freelance gigs and you've gotten used to changing jobs mm -hmm. and you've done more than one thing at a time. So you had a, a, I think, a base on which to build your unretirement. But still, when you decided to retire, was it kind of daunting to think about your next phase? 
Uh, it was a little bit. I'd been thinking about it for a while and planning it for a while, both uh, you know, psychologically and financially. Um, you know, I wanted to do as much as I could to be ready for this new chapter of my life. Um, but it is scary to go from a full-time job where you've got a schedule and you know what you're going to be doing all day, every day, um, and what's expected of you, to now look at an empty calendar and realize that it's up to you to fill it up as much as you want to and decide how you're going to fill it up and what kinds of things you're going to say yes to, what kinds of things you'll say no to, um, and you know, experiment along the way. So that was a little daunting, and it still is, but I'm enjoying it. Well, you had a a pretty good base for unretirement, and you have expertise because Next Avenue has written or published all kinds of information about it over the years. But I, I want to know, it, it's become a popular term, but what is your personal definition of unretirement? Well, I'll tell you what I how I view it, and some people, they call it semi-retirement. But for me, it meant not working all day, every day at one job, but working much of many days at different jobs, um, but also having time not to be working as well. And so, you know, what I'm now doing is I'm freelancing um, for Next Avenue. I've started to write a column for the website Market Watch, which is done by Dow Jones. It's called The View from Unretirement. Uh, I'm still doing a podcast I've been doing now for about four years called Friends Talk Money. Um, and then there are other days where I'm not writing or podcasting, but I'm volunteering or I'm taking care of my health or I'm reading, um, seeing my family, traveling. So, you know, not every day is a work day, but many days are at least partly work days. And some of the things you're doing, like taking care of your health, is part of, I think, um, a person's career. And by midlife and even earlier, it's part of your job is to keep yourself healthy enough so that you really bring your best self to to the job when you when you do work. Did you make changes in, in how you take care of yourself as part of your own retirement, like more exercise or anything like that? Um, yes, I did. And uh, this came hard for me because I'm somebody uh, maybe like some of your listeners who uh, is not a big fan of exercising and 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 staying fit, although I know that I need to do it. I just never like to do it. And I wrote a, a column for Market Watch about this uh, in my view from my retirement. But I recently started going to a class two days a week at their local YMCA. It's a cardio fitness class. Um, I started to learn a little bit about playing pickleball, which I'm doing a little bit with my wife, and I hope to do more of that. We have a dog. I walk the dog a lot. I've been doing that for a long time. But I am trying to take better care of myself. I, I've been watching what I eat for a long time. I have type 2 diabetes and kidney disease, so I need to be really careful about what I eat and how I eat. Um, but I do feel like this is the time of life where it's really important for me to do a better job of taking care of my health. And for, for people who are listening, who are kind of thinking about on retirement, I think it's never too early to start thinking about laying the groundwork for what, how you want to be uh, down the road so you can choose to have a flourishing life for a really long time. So I, I think what you're doing there is is very smart. Now, you recently wrote a piece um, about unretirement, and, and you said that uh, there are actually some benefits to being an older worker and, and one of your first interesting gigs. You want to tell us about how... Uh, your 
NYU activity both got you out of your comfort zone, but helped you mm -hmm. uh, use your strengths? Sure. Yes, this was something I just recently did, and I, I really enjoyed it, but I was nervous about doing it. So I was asked by NYU to help run what they call their Summer Publishing Institute. It's a program they've had for over 40 years. It's for recent college graduates from around the country, as well as some rising seniors who want to learn about digital media, which was my area, or about books publishing. And there was another person who ran that. And so for two weeks, I was in charge of this program. Uh, I, spent, I spent many months in advance uh, planning it. And so it was a matter of finding really smart people in digital media who would speak or give workshops or be on panels all day, every day for two weeks about the world of digital media. And I moderated some of those panels. And a lot of the time, I was just uh, trying to keep the trains running. Um, but it really... I was inspired by the by the students I met and by the people I heard who were in the industry. Um, I'd never been a, a professor of any kind before, a teacher. I, I've, I've spoken a lot, and I like to mentor, but this was new for me. Um, but I'm glad that I did it, and I'm happy to say that I was asked to come back next year, and I plan to do that. Well, one of the strengths that you have in your career is that you are tech-savvy. I mean, you could be leading a digital media uh, education program. And that is pretty um, important as, as part of not just retirement, but for your um, your listeners at um, Next Avenue and anybody is in midlife. Uh, one of the keys to uh, flourishing is these days it's being comfortable with tech or at least willing to try. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I started my career and I spent the first 20 years of my career in print journalism at magazines, which I loved. But as, as your listeners know, that world has changed dramatically. There are fewer and fewer magazines and most, you know, magazines, if they're around today, are really more websites than they are magazines. And maybe they still have a print edition. So I, I could see the writing on the wall. And so I did what I could uh, while I was at Money Magazine and then when I was at Good Housekeeping to learn as much as I could and about digital media and to get involved with the website at, at Good Housekeeping Hearst. And then you know, basically pivoted in my career to now be doing mostly, if not entirely, uh, digital media. And, um, you know, there was a lot that I needed to learn. Writing for the web is different than writing for a magazine. There are just different rules. Um, there's also the technology. Um, but it's not that hard to learn these things. There, it's, it's easier than it ever has been to learn technology if you want to, either taking classes on online, watching YouTube videos. Uh, there's a, a great group called Senior Planet, uh, which is now affiliated with ARP that offers a lot of great programs about technology. So I would say, you know, if, if any of your listeners feel that they are a little rusty or want to learn more about technology, um, to take the initiative to do it. You don't have to learn how to code, but you do need to learn how to be fluent, I would say, and, and, and comfortable. And, and would you say that for uh, people of any age, there's a potential of ageism? I, I've had clients in their 30s feeling they're in their prime and yet feeling that they're also being distant work because somebody younger is uh, hipper to a certain kind of technology. So. I think people at any age need to not only be open to tech, but they need to to know how to talk about it. Um, have you noticed as in your years that that some people say things like, "Oh, I just can't do that," or you know, "I I only use Word. I don't use 
Google or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that a? Do you think that's a big issue out there for mid-career people? Yeah, I do think there is some self-sabotage out there by people who say they can't do it or they're afraid to do it so they won't try. And it just plays into the stereotype that as you get older, you are become less uh, able to handle technology and don't want to learn new things. And, you know, as we know, you know, you know, and I know very well, for many people, that is not true. For some people, it is. And you need to work you know, proactively to be sure that nobody thinks that of you because it isn't true. But if you don't keep your skills current, um, it's very likely that people are going to start saying that about you. And that may help you know, prevent you from getting where you want to be in your career, whether it's working full-time or part-time. Well, part of it is, I think, in general, being comfortable being a little uncomfortable. That is mm-hmm. uh, a key to um, kind of new career adventures is getting out of your comfort zone, even if you're afraid. Is, is that how you've been approaching your unretirement? Uh, in some ways it is. Um, the NYU experience was a good example of that. Um, but, you know, that said, there are going to be things if, if you're starting on retirement or semi-retirement, there are going to be things you, you're going to be asked if you want to do that you will want to say no to. And, and that's been a challenge for me because I'm not somebody who's been accustomed to saying no. And in many cases, when you're working full time, you can't. But also, I just don't like to. I like to say yes to things. But sometimes I've been approached to be writing or editing things that I just didn't feel I would enjoy doing, that would not be fulfilling for, for me to do, um, or that I felt like other people could do a better job at it. So I would say no to those. But whenever I could, I would suggest somebody who I thought could do that or might be interested in doing that um, whenever I could do that. Um, so I do feel like you need to, whenever you can, test yourself, get out of your comfort zone a little bit, try new things. But don't feel compelled to say yes to everything either. That's really good advice. I know when I first started coaching, sometimes I'd get this little sense that this might not be a good client match for me. But I, I thought, oh, you can't turn down a client. Hmm. It took me a while to realize that in any career, finding good matches is is part of the path to success. If, if your intuition is saying, this isn't quite right. That's different from that feeling that, oh, this is exciting, but I don't know if I can do it. There, that's a, two big differences that it's good to kind of learn about in your own head, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my wife says, um, when, when she and I were talking about my new stage of life, she said I should approach it the way Marie Kondo approaches you know, your home, which is to keep the things that give you joy and not the things that don't. And so that's what I'm trying to do as much as I can. And not everything I'm doing gives me joy, but as much as I can, I'm trying to find things that do. Well, I think that's a terrific approach. Now, you have come up with lots of opportunities, it looks like. And of course, I've studied you on um, LinkedIn, seeing what you're up to, because I wanted to um, uh, see how you've been doing things since you started this unretirement. But And what I, it looks like to me is one of your strengths, one of the reasons why you were prepared for this is not just that you'd had different kind of experiences, but that you know a lot of people. And mm-hmm. you know enough people that you get suggestions that you don't want to pursue. And you know a lot of people that you get surprising suggestions. You want to tell us a bit about how networking has played a role in your career and how you see it playing out with other unretirees. 
Sure. Well, you know, one of the advantages of getting older, being in your 50s, 60s, 70s, is that you have made a lot of contacts over the years, um, either through work or through other um, networking that you've done. And so now at this stage of life, you can, you know, turn to some of those and talk to them about things you may want to do. Uh, but also I found it uh, really useful to be very public about what I'm doing, what I want to be doing, the stage of life that I'm in, because then people who know you will approach you or people will find you and say, hey, what about this? Would you be interested in doing that? You know, it's it's also the same way I think people need to approach if they've lost a job but want to be working. Um, there really is not a stigma the way there used to be about being unemployed. But what you really need to do is get the word out as much as you can publicly on social media that says, you know, I'm currently between jobs or I'm looking for this kind of work. And and if you have anything or know somebody, you know, here's how to find me. Um, because these days, as you know, as well as anybody, most people who get hired get hired through referrals, not, not by going to job postings. And so, you know, whether you're work, looking for a full-time job or a part-time job, whether it's, you know, in your full-time career or in on retirement, you know, let, get the word out about what you want to be doing. And, you know, you may start hearing from people or you can start looking for people that you know who might be helpful. That's really good advice. I There's something else you mentioned um, about kind of sharing that I think is super important and I want to kind of reiterate that. Back when I was um, a lawyer, a young lawyer in a law firm, uh, being on the committee to market, it was not about presenting your authentic self. It was about making your expertise seem as strong as you possibly could. And, and clients, we were told, clients wanted to know you know this. They want you to know you're confident of your expertise. So um, showing weakness, particularly when you're like the only woman in in the room, um, was something I was trained not to do. But but now when I watch uh, people I respect on LinkedIn and other places where they're writing, um, some of the most, uh, oh, I think successful professionals out there are writing with great authenticity. Mm -hmm. They're saying, I was afraid of this and this is how I approached it. They are letting other people know how they're on the path. And I, I find that very compelling and, and it, it really works. I, do you think that that's, that's true, that there's a big difference in how we talk about ourselves now? Um, yeah, I do think that's true. And I, I've certainly found that in myself in, in the work that I'm doing in, in the column that I'm writing for Market Watch. I'm much more candid about what I'm experiencing, what I'm dealing with, what I'm worried about, what, what's working for me or isn't uh, than in the past where I tried to keep myself out of the articles that I was writing. Um, you know, you don't want to go overboard either. It's not all about you. Um, but I do feel like sometimes it is helpful to share your frustrations, your concerns, your 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 you know, confusion, because there may be people who 
you know, we'll see that who can give you some advice and some help or who can say, yeah, I've done that myself or I've been through it. And, and here's what I've found. You know, the, the column that I've been writing for MarketWatch, I've been getting some wonderful emails from people who've read it who said, um, yeah, I, I've had that same problem or this is what I've been doing. And I found it really comforting to hear from others um, and also to realize that, you know, a lot of us are going through it together. And if there's anybody out there who thinks it shows that you're weak or uninteresting, whatever, it doesn't matter because you don't know them and they don't have any impact on your life. So if you um, attract a few um, friends or opportunities or um, support, um, that's really all that matters. The, the, the other people aren't having any impact on you. And, and that can take yeah. a while, I think, to get comfortable with for people who are first going on social media mm -hmm. or um, speaking in groups or anything like that. The people who aren't impressed really don't matter to you anyway. Yeah, there are always going to be haters. And especially on social media these days, people are very quick to respond and tell you what they think. And often they will not agree with you and they may say something insulting and you just have to sort of let that wash over you and try not to take it too personally. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. Well, I want to change gears a little bit. We've talked about a few things that might be of interest to listeners who are thinking about an unretirement down the road at some point, like um, networking and saying tech savvy and and um, exercising or doing whatever it takes to to be healthy. But I I don't want to um, finish without tapping into some of your expertise. One of the things that you've been writing about for years is personal finance and how to prepare for retirement. Do you have any suggestions, I, I guess, for two categories of listeners I'm thinking about? One is people who are uh, maybe in the midst of COVID thought, I want to unretire now. I want to get away from um, the old kind of job and do something else. But also people who maybe are a lot younger and they're looking ahead for how do you financially prepare in this uncertain world for the luxury of unretirement? Well, I, you know, and not everyone can do it. That's, that's clear. But I would say, you know, there are two things. One is there are things you can do yourself. And then there, the other is there are things that others can do to help you to do it. So, you know, whether you're 35 or 65, I think it's really helpful to spend a little time to really nail your finances. Go over where is your money now? How much have you saved? Are you going to get a pension or more than one pension? And if so, when and how much will it be? How much are, can you expect to get from Social Security at different ages? 
Um, if you have a spouse or partner, you know, have a conversation with them about all this as well. Be sure you understand their situation as well as your own situation so that you know kind of what you're looking at. And if you were to stop working full time, you know, at right now or in X number of years, um, what would that mean for you in terms of your ability to cover your expenses? And that'll, that'll help you sort of see, well, what's possible. And then what I would say is once you have done that step, then you want to, if you can, meet with a financial advisor um, who can work with you about, well, how are you doing? What might you be doing differently? Can you afford to unretire when you want to? And if so, how would you go about doing that? Uh, when should you consider taking Social Security? Uh, if you're going to get a pension, when should you consider taking that if you have that option? So, you know, don't feel like you have to do it all yourself. There are experts out there who are really useful and helpful who can help guide you as well. Speaking of experts, um, tell us about your column. Tell us about your podcast a little more because I think that's a source of information. And are there any other specific um, sources of information that, that you might recommend to people? Sure. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, the podcast I've been doing now for about four years is called Friends Talk Money. I do that with uh, Pam Kruger and Terry Savage. A lot of your listeners may know their names. Terry, of course, is a personal finance syndicated columnist and author for many years. And Pam Kruger started uh, a company called Wealth Ramp that helps vet financial advisors for people. Uh, and what we do is we get together virtually uh, about once a week or every two weeks and talk about personal finance issues for people over 50. Um, sometimes there are things that are in the news, sometimes they're not, but they are really, we hope to be helpful and often we'll bring in guests to help give advice about that. Uh, and you can find that wherever you get podcasts. It's called Friends Talk Money. Uh, the column that I'm writing for Market Watch is called The View from Unretirement. I write that every two weeks and it's often trying to help guide people uh, with what it's like to be unretired or semi-retired, whether you're there now or hoping to be there at some point. Uh, sometimes it's based on current and recent research. Sometimes it's based on interviews I do with authors of books on the subject or things that I'm going through myself. Uh, recently, I wrote a column about volunteering uh, at this stage of life and, and how I've been doing it and getting fulfillment from that. Um, as far as other people, well, one of my favorite personal finance writers is an old friend of mine who I worked with at Money Magazine for years and then at Next Avenue for years. And now she's writing for Yahoo. And I know she's a friend of yours, Bev, and that's Carrie Hannon, K-E-R-R-Y-H-A-N-N-O-N. -N -N. She writes for Yahoo Finance, and she does wonderful articles about personal finances. Um, another person I hugely admire, and I was lucky to work with him for many years at Next Avenue, is a writer named Chris Farrell, F-A-R-R-E-L-L. -L. Uh, your listeners may have heard him on public radio um, or read what he's written. Um, he's an expert on older workers and personal finances, and, and he's great. Well, those are great recommendations. And uh, by the way, Carrie has been on this podcast five times yeah. talking about five different books. So that shows yeah. how prolific she is. She is, uh, right. she is pretty amazing. I think she has a new book out every third, every three weeks or so. Right? I don't exactly know how she does it. I don't know how she yeah. does it. But, well, she, the, the final thing I wanted to kind of touch upon is to get back to ageism a little bit. Um, right. Kind of the sort of get a sense of where we are struggling with that phenomenon. Carrie is an example of somebody who has certainly 
overcome ageism. She was a freelancer for years and years and years. And then after she turned 60, she got offered a great job and she's like started a whole new gig with Yahoo. Mm -hmm. But it is still out there. And yet I think in some places it's kind of manageable. Would you just give me your assessment of where we are on the road to grappling with ageism and helping people deal with it? Sure. Um, well, I do think that ageism is still very much around us, um, both in, in everyday life. There was a, a survey that was done by the University of Michigan's uh, Healthy Aging um, poll that found that uh, a vast majority of older Americans say that they experience everyday ageism every day. Um, but also in the workplace, it still continues often. Um, and it goes both ways, both both younger people being ages towards older people and older people being ages towards younger people. Um, but often older workers find themselves marginalized at work where they're suddenly not invited to meetings or asked for their opinions. And what happens is it then can have a snowball effect because then when you're not part of the decision making and you're not taking, getting assignments, you're not being offered them, then when it comes up time for review um, or if they're looking for layoffs, they may say, well, that person you know, hasn't been all that useful recently. Well, um, it may be because they're not letting you be that useful. So I think it really falls to people in their 50s and 60s and 70s who are working and want to keep working to do whatever they can to counteract that, to raise your hand when you can, to show people that you are just as capable, if not more capable than you ever were, that you're interested in learning, that you want to do new things, uh, so that nobody uses the stereotypes of ageism against you. Uh, now, you know, in today's uh, tight labor market, it's been interesting. I wrote about this for MarketWatch recently. Um, a lot of employers are now more interested in hiring and keeping older workers than they used to be because they need workers. Um, and it's not that they've changed their ways so much about age discrimination, but they need to get the job done. And so what, what's happening is they are now having conversations and are open to conversations with people in their 60s or 70s who say, well, I want to keep working, but I don't want to keep working all, all the time, full time every day. What can we do to work it out so that I can work part time for you and do, you know, some of the things that I've been doing, but also that the job gets done. And if that's something that you're interested in doing for your employer, you may be able to have that conversation and work something out. What you want to do is show your employer that it's not going to be a problem for them. It's not going to work against them, that you've thought it out. You've got a plan. And maybe you say, well, let's try it out for a few months as an experiment. It's a trial to show them that it can work. Um, but they are more willing to hear that idea now than they were two years ago. I don't know whether that will continue when the labor market gets back to where it was before. I'd like to think it will, but I'm not sure that it will. Well, there's a new awareness of the need for flexibility that mm -hmm. I think will um, be here forever. At least the old style of, of uh, office work, it just feels like it's finished. And maybe um, the flexibility, the awareness that flexibility can pay off is, is going to work out well for um, older em employees who want to create their own structure, it, uh, not for the same reason that other people are doing it, but in the same kind of ways of contributing um, at, at times and in places that work for them. It, that, I think there is some good news out there in the, uh, the flexibility movement for uh, older 
workers and what we all have to do and what you emphasize is you got to make the case. You got to understand what's happening and maybe you got to do some reciprocal mentoring with younger people so you know the right language and you take responsibility and sometimes you can work it out. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, there's a terrific book that came out about a year ago called Gentelligence um, by, by three experts about um, intergenerational work teams at work. And one of them is a, a, a Gen Xer. The others are millennials um, who wrote the book together. And I think they have some really smart advice about how intergenerational teams can work better together. And sometimes, as you say, if you're older, you may need to uh, change the way you work a little bit to do do it the way that younger people prefer to do it, uh, whether that's you know, texting rather than calling. Um, and sometimes they may need to try to change their ways to work the way you'd like to work. So, you know, I think we're all learning together. Yes. Well, that's an optimistic note to end on. And thank you with for all the information you shared. You really um, understand the landscape. And I'm so excited to see you flourishing in your on retirement. And I appreciate your being here today. Thank you, Rich. Well, thank you, Bev. I'm jazzed about my own retirement. I um, understand the landscape and I'm so excited to see you flourishing in your on retirement. And I appreciate your being here today. Thank you, Rich. Well, thank you, Bev. I'm jazzed about my own retirement. Today we've been talking with journalist Rich Eisenberg about how to prepare for a flourishing unretirement. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that your professional life always includes two kinds of jobs. The work you're paid to do now and the things you're doing to prepare for a flourishing career down the road. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions. And you can email me. Email me at Beverly E. Jones at mindspring.com. That's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y-E-J-O-N-E-S at M-I-N-D-S-P-R-I-N-G dot com. Thank you.